Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Choose the Challenge. I am Moana Bradford, and I am so excited about joining you again for an amazing conversation. For those of you who've been following us for the past three years, you know that Choose the Challenge is designed to push the envelope a little bit, challenge us in how we think about the systems and norms, institutions, even mindsets that may be preventing us from elevating to the best and highest version of ourselves. At this show, we don't shy away from any conversations, including those that may seem to be a little bit taboo, especially when it's related to elevating awareness for minority population groups. Today, I'm excited to have an amazing guest on our show, none other than Dr. Cheryl Bryant Bruce, and she is a medical doctor. And we are going to talk about how to shift lifestyle and empower the African-American communities when it comes to health and wellness. I want to tell you a little bit about this amazing uh, woman before I bring her to the stage. Dr. Cheryl is also known as the, also known as the celebrity doc. She is a presidential lifetime achievement award winner among her amazing other accolades, including recognized by Times Magazine as one of the top 100 individuals to look for. She is a person who is passionate about wellness and advocacy. And in her medical profession, she has provided health solutions and oversight for the well-being of top named celebrities. But some of you may say, okay, well, she's the celebrity doc. What does it mean for me? I'm not a celebrity. Well, you don't have to because she has a passion for humanity and she wants to ensure that we all have a roadmap to wellness. But there's something that we need to talk about when it relates to our African-American brothers and sisters and some of the challenges that we're facing, including social determinants of health. What does that mean? How do we fit in? What is our responsibility and accountability for ourselves and for our community? And how can we lean in and partner with experts such as Dr. Cheryl? to ensure that we live the best well life possible. So here she is, Dr. Cheryl, welcome to the stage. Hey, Luana, happy to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for saying yes. I know you are very busy, <laughs> to say the least. A little crazy these days, <laughs> yes it is. Well, you and I spoke before the show and I'm just curious because Wellness covers a plethora of, of, of areas, but you're passionate about African-American communities and creating a shift in how we even address our lifestyle. Yes, yes. And I wanna ask you, not just because you happen to be an African-American woman, but why is this so important? And what are you seeing um, through your lens in America today? Well, the reason that it's important is because we are a part of the, the bigger world, and yet we are the underdogs. Part of the reason that we are the underdogs is indeed the health disparities that are present within our communities. I mean, there's no, there's no mystery in the fact that we were an enslaved people here, and at the time, that we were enslaved, the diets that we had probably served us fairly well. 
because of the amount of work that we were having to do hard physical labor out in the fields. So the high fat content in, in the food, it probably served us well to give us the extra energy that we needed. And when we burnt off the cholesterol and such, we had a high salt content in our food. Again, probably served us well at that time because if you're working out in the fields and you're sweating profusely, you are losing a lot of salt. So you need to replenish those salts. The high sugar content in the foods probably served us well. Those carbohydrates helped to energize us as we were doing that harder manual labor. As things changed though, those things are not serving us as well. And when we were freed, then we had the ability to choose work that was not such hard physical labor. And as our lifestyles and our work changed, our diet did not. Now, that being said, you have to consider that humans, we're still relatively primitive creatures in the scheme of things, in terms of how our bodies process food. And yet we've gone through a rapid series of changes and our bodies have not caught up. You know, industrialization, mechanization, all of that brought us prepackaged foods and then it brought us fast foods and then it brought us genetically modified foods and foods that are filled with toxic chemicals, high fructose corn syrup and the likes. All of those things make the food taste very good but at the same time those things are put into our foods for a reason. And one of those reasons is to addict us to those foods, to addict us to those things, which are not necessarily helpful for us or healthy for us. Now, let's, let's, let's pause right there because uh, this is this is good. This is rich. Uh, let's talk about the types of food. And you're, you're, you're right. We went from we were eating foods that typically the animals we were raising the grains we were we were growing in our, our fields, et cetera, mm -hmm. fruits and vegetables. And now because we want to feed America wanted to feed the world, you can't do so without making sure that things last as long as they possibly can, right? Right. So like you said, the packaging and with packaging all the preservatives, um, the genetic genetic modification of foods, very concerning. And even our food sources, right? So what might have been, I look like at my parents. My dad's 93 and my mom's 87. And my dad's baseline, if you looked at our, um, our, our, our uh, I don't want to call it, our metabolic count, as well as just the traditional swath of, of blood tests, you would think mine is his and his is mine. Right, right. And I think it's because their baseline, right? They, they didn't have fast food. Packaged foods? No, they made their own breads. They made their cookies, their pies, and all of that. And 
I want to ask you this question because there is a system around that. Um, there, there's a commercial system. And yes. that's designed to help those who are behind the, the engine to continue to grow financially. Yes. And that's fine. But the money isn't going back into these communities that are most crippled by this. When you look at, you know, what's being put on the corner store, you know, why, why do you go into African-American communities and it's filled with fast food? You know, where, where are the whole yeah. foods and the other types of, of stores, the options, the choices? I want to turn that exactly, over to you. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's that part. I mean, when you go into the African-American communities, what you enter is a food desert there is not good quality food you don't find the whole foods and the sprouts the you, you don't find the local growers bringing in the the markets to our people you know if we're going to go to the organic market we're going to go outside of our community so th there's two problems with that one a lot of us don't have the means to go outside of our community Two, if we do go out of our community, what are we doing? We're taking the wealth out of our community and we're giving that money to somebody else to do what? To, to feed ourselves. The other problem inherent there, though, is that other communities do have these stores that have high quality foods, but that is not the bigger issue. Because if I go to a Safeway in Beverly Hills, California, it is not going to look like the Safeway in Inglewood, California. The quality of the food, the selections are not going to be the same. That's, That's scary. It's problematic. It's really yes. problematic. And I'll tell you a, a story. I, I used to work... Um, at Sentinella Hospital there down in, in LA. And Sentinella is in the hood. And I lived over in Beverly Hills. Now, it was more convenient for me to stop and go to the grocery store right down the street from Sentinella on the way home than to go all the way home. And even though the grocery store was right on the corner around from where I lived, it was also, you know, five o'clock and there was all of the traffic that goes into the grocery store at dinner time. So it just made more sense for me to, to grab my groceries there at the, the market near Sentinella. I'm in the market, I'm talking on the phone to a friend and I'm dropping things into the cart. Chicken was on sale. Like, oh, wow, these are good looking chicken legs. They're, they're really big. I put them into the cart. And then as I'm walking, that started to weigh on me. And like halfway through the store, I stopped. And I'm looking at this chicken. And I said, what's wrong with this picture? Chicken legs are not supposed to be as big as my thighs. <laughs> that tells you. Yeah there's a problem with those chicken legs. And then I you know, really started to look around at, at what I was buying. And I was like, no, 
the quality of the food is not the same here. There is, again, no secret in the fact that how things are going in America has been planned. Right. And that plan has long-term plan. And part of that plan has been to reduce our numbers. They couldn't get us to reduce ourselves with population control. So instead, one of the things that they said is, well, we will control them through their food. Why? Because if you do not have high quality food, the outcome of that is bad health. The outcome of bad health is we get the dwindles as a society, we become sicker and sicker until we are no longer producing healthy individuals. And as is being seen, we have some of the highest death rates from all of the inflammatory diseases, from cardiac disease, from diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, you name it, we've got it. And a lot of it is centered in that diet. Now, there's a reason for that. And there's something that we can do about it. Because as we're eating a bad diet, it turns on inflammatory genes. And there are things called epigenes. And they're like light switches for genes that can get turned on and off. We can make difference for ourselves in one generation. One generation, if we eat the appropriate foods, foods that are rich in antioxidants, you know, if we're eating the lean meats, if we are leaving the stuff that I say that the center of the grocery store stuff, the stuff in the center of the grocery store is always the least healthy. Now, in our stores, it tends to extend all the way out to the edges. But if you go into any of the other stores outside of our neighborhoods, you'll find that the center of the grocery store is a much smaller section than the peripheries where you find all of the veggies and meats and such that are more healthy for us. If we change our diet and we are eating from the peripheries where we are consuming the healthy foods that will switch those epigenes back off that have been triggered for that inflammation that triggers disease, then we can turn those genes back to a healthier state. Now, why do I say that we can change that in one generation? The reason I say that is because if we are looking at people in the childbearing age, when you bear children, you pass a set of genes. And if you pass the genes where those epigenes have turned on inflammatory conditions, guess what? You're passing a propensity for those disease processes. If you can manage to turn those 
genes off though, to turn them back to a healthy gene component. And that's what you pass to your children. Now your children are no longer at risk. You know, they say we're genetically predisposed. We weren't always genetically predisposed. Let, let me, I'm going to throw something out there and it's going to, this statement is going to make people very uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> Where you said, people we do uncomfortable. Yeah, we, this is, she's a challenge folks. <laughs> and I'm here with the amazing Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce. So you just said that sometimes we adopt the premise that we are genetically pre predisposed. And I'm just speaking strictly to African-Americans in this country mm -hmm. and how we came to be. So when you look at the fact that we were chattel, right? And we were bred. You're, yes. bre you're breeding the best of the best. Yes. Right? You come from a very strong baseline because they didn't want disease. They, it was, it, we were the moneymaker, unfortunately. Yes. And, but you said, but the system that's put in place, it's by design. It's not by accident that certain yes. communities are, are marginalized when it comes to food, access to food, access to the right medical professions, uh, professionals. Um, I think about just looking at you and I looked at the numbers and they were staggering. I knew they were bad, but I didn't realize that African-Americans only represent 5% of the entire medical profession. And yes. so when you think about, I want to have a doctor that may look like me, can relate to me, can understand things. It's few and far between, right? So when we go into our, and I want to just share this story with you and pass it on to you. Uh, I was diagnosed with lymphoma, mm -hmm. but when I went to my doctor, because mine attached, uh, it, it hit my skin, which is your largest organ. So it hit the skin. Right. First. And they looked and I uh, was told, Moana, that's nothing to worry about. It's eczema. Yes. Uh, well, I've never had any skin disorders, but okay, it doesn't look like eczema. I know people who have eczema, but if you say so. And it was just a small dis discoloration, but it popped up overnight. And that was what I was concerned about. Mm -hmm. Well, just something didn't feel right with me. So I went back to my primary and was told, Luana, you are being a hypochondriac. I told you what it is. Here's some cream. Go home. It'll be fine. Plus, you're get entering, you know, the, the change of life. Your body's going to do all kinds of things. Like, hmm. So I went and found an African-American dermatologist. Mm -hmm. Went in. She took one look at me. In fact, because of her, I'm still here. She said, it's either an autoimmune disorder or you have lymphoma. And I thought, oh, my gosh, can we say eczema and give me some <laughs> Say eczema was sounding real good about that time, huh? Right. But she knew how the type of lymphoma that I had is, first of all, it's rare and it's rare for African-Americans to get it and for women. Yes. yes. But she knew how it would show up. And she's like, we're going to take a biopsy immediately. And I thought, I know it's like that. And it turned out to be that. And she said, I need you to follow who I'm going to link you to. And thank God I was in Atlanta because the number one physician in the world for this type of cancer is my oncologist and she's in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But again, if it hadn't, if I hadn't challenged it, 
would I still be here? I don't know. Would I or running around thinking I have eczema and my body's doing all kind of crazy things? So I'd like you to talk to, to our audience specifically about taking charge and being bold when it comes to leading your personal care. We know food choices is one thing, right? But you need to trust the people who are in partnership with you, those medical professions yes. who are guiding. Yes, you have a right to do that. And it's really important that you represent yourself because nobody is going to represent your interest as well as you are going to do so. Now, as a community, we have gone under the assumption that the medical community is there to serve us and has our best interest at heart. And in general, that is not a bad assumption to make but you have to caveat with the fact that we are victims of racism, that we are subject to systemic racism. And that systemic racism is also in the medical arena. Now you have to remember that we were the Tuskegee experiment, the HeLa cell, every female surgery that has ever been done was done on African-Americans. And at the times that they were being done, we were being treated like animals. We weren't put under anesthesia. There was a lot that was done to us. Is it that kind of party now? No, it isn't that blatant. Are there still things being done to us? Yes, if we allow them. But a lot of times it is more a problem of omission than commission. We aren't necessarily offered the same medical opportunities. We aren't necessarily taken as seriously when we present with symptoms and a diagnosis is in order so that our diagnoses tend to come much later. We have a tendency to put a blind trust into the medical system. And part of that is oftentimes a lack of, of knowledge. We don't know how to challenge them. We feel like not able to, to challenge them. Who am I to challenge them? But I'm sitting here telling you that it does not matter your education level. I am a physician and yet I run into some of the same barriers in healthcare that you do. I, a year ago now, um, had 104 fever and I went into the hospital. I was having respiratory difficulty and such. And I went into an emergency room and I explained to them, these are the symptoms that I'm having. And this is problematic because I too have lymphoma. I have small cell lymphoma or chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And so I'm highly immunocompromised. And one of the things that we do have to be concerned about is lung infections. So I knew that a temperature of 104 in an oncology, a cancer patient, is a big deal. I immediately contacted my oncologist who was out of town 
And he said, this is going to require an admission. And he gave me the instructions as to, you know, what to do, what to say, and you know, how this was supposed to go. That is not what happened when I got into the emergency room, though. I got tremendous pushback. And the emergency room doctor never actually came to see me, ordered, you know, some labs and some x-rays. And um, he asked them to do a pulse ox, which measures your, the oxygenation of your, your blood. And from that, he decided that I was going home. And he finally came at the very end of the visit to tell me, okay, well, you know, everything's fine. You're going home. Um, you know, all we see is some pneumonia on the x-ray. It's like, hold up, <laughs> wait a minute, time out. <laughs> pneumonia is a major issue you know, for, for me. And, uh, you know, I have leukemia. I have an oncologist that has requested that I come here for a direct admission. And he said that the minute that my foot hit your door, that you were to call me. And I have told that to every individual I've come in contact with up until this point. And nobody has called him because I'm a very complicated patient. And whatever you do to me, I'm going to do the opposite of what you expect. So you need to call this oncologist. Refused to do so and actually discharged me. My goodness. So I went home and I had a pulse ox. And I went home and he's like, well, you know, if your pulse ox gets too low, then, you know, come on back in. Well, I sat and I watched that pulse ox dropping all night long. And because my temperature had been controlled with ibuprofen at the time, ibuprofen and Tylenol at the time that they saw me and it had dropped down to about 100. Uh, he was like, you know, you're fine. Well, it immediately popped right back up to 104. And so I'm watching the clock all night long because my father's elderly and I didn't want to call an ambulance and scare him. And I definitely didn't want him driving at night. And so as soon as I broke the next morning, I'm like, Dad, we got to go to the emergency room. We went to a different hospital and I was admitted immediately and ended up with a two week stay. And during that entire two weeks, I ran a temperature of 104 and they were never able to figure out exactly what it was. Eventually, they came to the conclusion that it was the medications that I had been on for the uh, immunotherapy treatments that had triggered an inflammatory response in my body. And my body was rejecting it to the point where I almost died. I literally went down. I'm normally a size four. I literally went down to a size zero. I was having palpitations. I could barely support my, my own weight. And walking across a room made me short of breath. As a physician, with all of that going on, they sent me out. What are they going to do to someone who doesn't have that background? What are they going to do to you? You have to be your advocate. You know, this isn't right. I know that I'm sick. I know that I'm wrong. You knew that that little blip on your skin was an eczema. Your gut told you, no, this is not right. You have to follow that gut. Now, one of our fears is if we push back, then they push harder and they deem us as difficult 
and they are going to make things very difficult for us, that's fine. Let them make them difficult for you. You know, you may have to, you may have to put on the boxing gloves and fight. Exactly. It's about you. It's about your health. And if your life depends on your ability to fight, you better become a prize fighter. I call myself the warrior queen because I'm fighting for the win. I, I love that. Um, I recently, um, last, we're in October, right? So last month, <laughs> this is this year has been like a blur for me. Um, so my dad um, had was had demonstrated some stroke symptoms. So went into the hospital mm -hmm. and they said, no, well, this is the other thing. This sounds crazy, but I tell my dad, cause he, he's uh, one of the few remaining Buffalo soldiers uh, in America. Oh, nice. He um, served for 30 years, 30 days. So whenever he goes to the hospital, if it's, you know, ER visit, whatever, I always grab his hat that says he was a Korean war and Vietnam vet. Yeah. Sounds crazy. Right. But it's no. amazing. They see a different person than just a black man. Yes. But in this situation, Dr. Cheryl, they said, oh, he probably just has a bladder infection since he's had several in the past and that's causing the the confusion. And I said, mm, I don't think so, but I'll let you run all the tests. They ran all the tests and they said, well, we'll keep him overnight just, just for observation. And they said, well, the CT, everything came back normal. I said, I think my dad had an episode. I've seen my dad have several strokes and it's amazing. He's this energizer bunny that just bounces back. But I said, I, I, I know, I know this wasn't a bladder infection. Mm -hmm. They said, well, there's no reason for us to keep him here. We're going to send him home. Everything's fine. Um, follow up with his primary. And I said, I called my brother. I said, if I'm not mistaken, I can refuse <laughs> discharge right and he said yeah you can go and appeal it so mm -hmm. i put in an appeal the moment i appealed all of a sudden they wanted to run another ct scan ct scan mm -hmm. an mri and what did they find oopsie he did have a stroke in the frontal region region right like, and really that's, i mean that's just not an uncommon story yeah. my my personal assistant she, her whole family, I, I, I worked in an emergency room there in Texas, Houston, Texas. It was an orthopedic specialty hospital. I, I ran the emergency room there. And her whole family had a habit of anytime they had anything wrong with them, they were gonna come to see Dr. Cheryl, regardless of the fact that it had nothing to do with bones, they were gonna come see Dr. Cheryl. And so her mother was, she had a pacemaker, she had a heart condition, and she was having some chest pain. And so they wanted to bring her to see me. They gave me the call for the heads up. They were coming. And I said, absolutely, categorically, do not do that. Go to university. It's cardiac. You need to be able to, you know, go to the cath lab or whatever if it's indeed a heart issue that she is having. So they bypassed me. They went on to university. And to this day, I regret having given that advice because with the history, I and mean, then she had history with this hospital and with the history of the pacemaker of the heart condition, she went in and they 
did not run any cardiac enzymes. They did not do the appropriate workup for a heart condition. They basically told her that she had anxiety and she was doing just fine. And unfortunately, mama and daddy decided, okay, well, the doctor said, I'm fine, we're gonna go home. And Dee called me on the way home. And she said, you know, here's what happened. And I was like, did they do this? Did they do that? Did they do this? And she's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, then you got to turn around and you got to take them right back because she should have been admitted for observation at the very least to run a full set of cardiac enzymes. She said, when I get to the house, I'll tell that to daddy because daddy and mommy were in the different car. They arrived at the house. Mama got out of the car and Dee ended up coating her on the front walk going into the house and was not able to bring her back. Mm. She died on the front steps. Mm. Unacceptable outcome for a woman that went in with a known mm. cardiac condition, but was brushed off as anxiety in a hospital with a cath lab on site. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Wow, that's unbelievable. to play that because it speaks to your position as being the warrior queen, not only going through your own personal medical journey, but also being this voice that needs to be heard around the world to help change the narrative, to give us a sense of empowerment that we can take control and ownership of our own health, but we have to be willing to get to sit at the table, right? We have yes. to be willing to advocate for ourselves. And if we can't, they yes. get someone who can, who loves yes. us enough that they're Absolutely. going to buck the system, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you, know, if you are going in and, and you don't feel in your power to be your best advocate, that's an important thing to take somebody else who can step in for you. Now, one of the things that I do want to say is because I mean, there are gonna be others watching besides the African-American community. And one of the things that quickly gets thrown up is, oh, well, you guys are being overly sensitive or you know, this is reverse racism. Uh, and you know, basically the it's all in your head type of thing. This is not in our head. This is not something that we think is happening. This is something that statistically we know 
is happening. We know that we're underrepresented in medicine and where we are represented in medicine, we are underrepresented in the various different fields because one of the things just as happened to me when I went into medical school, the first thing they do is they try to channel you into primary care and say, oh, well, you need to go back and work in your community. So you need to go into primary care. Well, that is true to a certain extent. Primary care is on the lower economic rung of medicine, however. Do we need ophthalmologists? Do we need cardiologists? Do we need neurosurgeons? Do we need all of the specialties? Why can't they look like us? It's been statistically shown that we have better outcomes when we're treated by physicians who look like us. And again, that goes to that underlying systemic racism. It isn't overt racism. People don't even realize they're, they're doing this. I mean, I work with, I, I work with mostly non-African American providers. And one of the things that is an observation, uh, because it's an interest, you know, to me, is I see that the level of care that they provide to African Americans is different than the level of care that they're providing to others. And it isn't just African Americans, it is melanated peoples, you know. Exactly. And I just want to say this one, and thank you for sharing that because there, I have, we have a lot of um, individuals who do watch this show and I ask that you not push back and say, oh gosh, you know, they're throwing out the black card again. No. So we, we, are, we are throwing out a conversation that needs to be had and we are asking for allies to come to the table. That yes. if we are looking to improve humanity as a whole, if we're looking to reduce the burden on society, then we'll make sure that there is equity and equality in the types of services that we're giving to individuals. We'll ensure that neighborhoods are developed so that the access to, to health care, to food sources, to water sources. Let's not get on the whole water. Oh, issue. yeah. Let's talk it, about that water, too. <laughs> I mean, we will ensure that as a, as a community, as the United States of America, that we care for all people. And when, and when you look at, we just recently celebrated, you know, Indigenous America Day. Their numbers are tragic. Yes. And oh, so yeah. It does require us to have conversations like this to bring um, Dr. Cheryl to the table and to challenge us and even to challenge us in the African-American communities. For those of us who have awareness, have knowledge, what are we doing to help empower the next generation or to protect our, our elders? What are we doing? Are we just happy that I'm good? If one and, and suffers, I, we all suffer, in my opinion. And we, we can't just be concerned with ourselves. Um, it's important to be concerned about our elders, but where we really need to focus our energy is into our youth because they are our future and the youth is where we can make the greatest changes. You know, we can change their mindset. We can educate and inform them so that they are making the better choices so that they are empowering themselves uh, one, to get educated and to go get into 
the medical field so that they can provide the services and so they can have the to educate future generations to to learn to be their own best advocates so that they do have the power to make the changes on a political level and on a societal level that we have not been able to make although we've we've covered great ground we're actually losing ground as we speak they are going to have to be the ones to wake up and smell the coffee and pick up the civil rights mantle and continue to run with it because the battle is not won. So they need to do that. And they are going to need to make the changes that is going to give them the strength to do that because our young people are far less healthy than we are and we're less healthy than our parents were our young people are in pretty sad shape from a health and wellness standpoint so they are going to have to to relearn what it means to nourish their bodies and nourishing their bodies is not just the food that you put into your body it's the food that you put into your mind. And when I talk about the food that we put into our mind, it's the music we listen to, the books that we don't read, that we need to start reading. It is the community that we build, the friendships that we make. Um, Snoop Dogg just said something that I, I found was absolutely brilliant. He said, I always, want everybody in the room to be smarter than I am. I want to be surrounded by geniuses and I'm pretty smart, but I want them all to be smarter than me. Why? Because then you elevate and we need to, we need to be elevating on so many levels. And in order to correct these health disparities, we're going to have to do exactly that. I love that. And I just kind of did a quick summary, mastering the mind-body connection, paying attention to what we put into the, the mouth gate, ear gates, and eye gates. Yes. And it, it is so, so critical. There is a, there is a huge, and it's scientifically proven, there is a connection. We, we are a system, right? We're not just one piece, but mm-hmm. through that education, through mm-hmm. partnerships, you have, help, you have the opportunity to live to your best self. This month yes. is, October, and yes. it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And yes. I want to show this one video, and then you're doing something to help support the Breast Cancer Awareness Initiative. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. are involved in a campaign called Fab Over 40. So tell us yes. a little bit about that, because I know that it's connected to 
um, the push for breast cancer awareness. And to those of you who haven't gotten your mammogram or are not doing your monthly self-checks, please, please do so. There's certain things you can't control. And I just want to share this one thing with you um, and with our audience, Dr. Cheryl. When I was 35, it wasn't time yet for me to start my mammograms. I don't have breast cancer in my family. But at work, you know how they have the whole campaign and they had the mammogram mobile come. And I thought, go get educated, have a mammogram. Little did I know, two days later, I get a call. Uh, we saw an abnormal reading. You need to come in. One week later, I was in surgery. Fortunately, it came back benign, but I had to have a surgical biopsy. Mm -hmm. And again, not thinking that there was ever anything wrong. I didn't feel anything, but somehow they, whatever they had to excise out of me left a nice six inch incision that reminds me all the time that we have to know our bodies. We have to just pay attention because honestly, back then I wasn't doing self checks. Yes. Maybe yes. I would have felt something. I mean, cause six inches is pretty big, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> So I laugh, because, you know, but in, in all seriousness, uh, we have to take care of ourselves. I want to turn this over to you to talk about what you're doing with this campaign and how we and the listening audience can support you. Okay. Well, with this campaign, the campaign is Fabulous Over 40, and it's celebrating women who are over the age of 40 who are fabulous in in whatever way that uh, is is deemed to be fabulous for for them uh, the activities that they're doing what they're contributing to the world who they are the mindset that they they bring and so i was nominated to be in this which is really quite an honor because it's fabulous over 40 but i'm actually 63 years old so I felt very honored to be in it. And one of the reasons that I wanted to be in it because I am battling leukemia every day. And people look at me and they're like, well, you couldn't possibly ha have leukemia. You look healthy as a horse. That's a choice that I've made. I have chosen to live and thrive with leukemia and I intend to live a very long life. But again, it's about a choice. And one of the things that I want to do in this competition is to educate people that they can make those choices to have a limitless life, you know, a life of purpose, a life that is healthy on a global level. So I would love to have you vote for me um the votes you can get one free vote every 24 hours and we're taking those votes for the next seven days there are also paid votes however and they're a dollar per vote and you're like well why am i going to pay for a vote the reason that you're going to pay for the vote is because every last one of those dollars goes to the breast cancer foundation to help with research and, and management of breast cancer and breast cancer is one of those things that affects all of us. You can vote for me by going to the link that you see on the bottom of the screen, Vote Fab 40. 
and um, just you know keep clicking those links. Every 24 hours, you can click those links. We do want to support the Breast Cancer Foundation because again, it is a, a it's a cancer that is non-discriminatory. And when I say that, I really mean it's non-discriminatory because I bet you didn't know that men get breast cancer too. So for all of you fellas, just like the women examine their breast, it's important for you to examine yours. Ladies, it's extremely important for you to examine your breast. We have mammograms, we have ultrasounds, but the truth of the matter is just your fingers can detect breast cancer much earlier than those tests can. That imaging isn't done until you come into the office, either for a routine check or because you've located something. If you are checking regularly, you don't have to know. A lot of people are like, well, I don't even know what I'm looking for. You don't have to know what you're looking for. What you're looking for is change. Your fingers will memorize the architecture of your breast. And once they've memorized it, when there's a change subconsciously, your fingers will register that change. And it doesn't matter how big or small the change is, what we want you to do is to come in and tell us that something has changed and we can in, uh, investigate it further. Keeping in line with the conversation that we've had though, if you feel that something has changed, no matter how small you feel it is, when you go in and you say something has changed, I need to be checked, don't allow them not to check you. Don't allow them to say, oh, well, you know, it looks okay, you look fine, go home. No, if you feel that something's changed, something's changed. Just like with Luana, it may be something that ends up being benign, but at the same time, they removed something out of her breast that was almost six inches large it could have not been benign because she wasn't checking. It got to six inches. And if it had not been benign at six inches, Luana was very unlikely to be with us here today. The longer we have these things, the larger we have these things, the greater the chance that they will spread. And once they spread, it becomes more and more difficult to fight them the further along they are. We have good medications and good treatments. Breast cancer does not have to be a death sentence today. It not being a death sentence is determined by you. So two things you can do is self-examinations, regular self-examinations, and hit that donate button to continue the research and support that goes into breast cancer. Hopefully you'll never be in the position to have to deal with it, but if you are, you will want someone else to have hit those buttons and made those donations so that the treatments and cures are there for you. I love that, thank you so much. So you heard it here from Dr. Cheryl, a wealth of information. Please support breast cancer awareness uh, the research, support Dr. Cheryl and all that she's doing and the voice of wellness that she is around the world. Ladies, gentlemen, we all know someone who's been impacted by breast cancer. It might be you, might be your mom, your sister, your brother, but we all know someone. 
So don't you want to be a part of something that's bigger than you? The number and information is below here. Vote Fab 40. You want to vote for Cheryl Bryant Bruce and um, be a part of the change. So Cheryl, before we go, I know you're doing some amazing things. And I want to ask you something because I read this on your bio and I saw Beverly Hills Chihuahua. <laughs> uh, what do you and Beverly Hills Chihuahua have in common? For those of you who don't know, that was a, a movie in, in Hollywood. So tell us a little bit about that work that you're doing. Well, one of the things I encourage people to do is to live your passions. And one of my lifelong passions has been entertainment. And so I am an, an actor, um, dancer, singer, uh, full blown, full spectrum entertainer. And I did um, actually film on the set of Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Unfortunately, didn't get past the, the cutting board and ended up on the, the cutting room floor because they ended up digitalizing most of uh, the movie and the sections that we were, were in, they actually took the, the people out of. But I have a funny story about the, the chihuahuas because you had all of those chihuahuas that were running around and the majority of them were created through CGI and it was one ugly little taxidermy chihuahua that they kept moving around really? for the CGI. So it just indelibly imprinted on my mind, this, this little stuffed chihuahua being moved around. It's like, couldn't you get like a pretend dog or something? No, you had to have a stuffed chihuahua. Wow. But uh, you know, it's, it's interesting those how those movies are are created. I have done uh, a number of other movies though that I have been in. I do have IMDb movie uh, credits, and uh, like I said, it's it's a passion. It's something that I do that brings me joy. It's a way of communicating with others, and it is another method of of healing people because as we bring people joy as we make people laugh, as we make people feel and emote, it's a way for us to connect. Yes. And as humans, we need that connection to thrive. I, I love that. Before we, before we uh, sign off, I know you have some things that are on your plate and I'd like you just to talk to the audience about how they might be able to connect with you. I put your contact information below, but what's next for Dr. Cheryl? Well, I kind of laugh when people um, ask me how to connect because connecting me with me is probably one of the easiest things in the world because all you have to do is, is Google me. I'm all over the place. Um, I'm on all of the social media platforms. And one of the things that I'm uh, doing that I would like for you to support and that I definitely would like to share with you is I do have a talk show called Chatters That Matter and it is all over the map. It is health related, but considering that everything that you encounter on a daily basis impacts on your health, the conversations are all over the, the board. We have a lot of interesting celebrities that, that come on. And then we have a lot of non-celebrities that come on and talk about all of the different things that impact us over time. Uh, we recently 
had Sean Fair on our show talking about uh, public speaking and the benefits of doing public speaking back to back with him. We had a gentleman by the name of Mike Wharton, who is a paramedic firefighter, and he was talking about the potential for suicide in the first responder population and what to do about that to make sure that it doesn't happen. So we do talk a lot about mental health because we are in a mental health crisis all over the world today. And so it is an area that really needs a lot of focus. And we do speak a lot on it and have lots of, of good tips and also just a lot of good stories that people tell that someone out there is going to connect with. And today it might be you, tomorrow it might be someone you know. I love that. Thank you so much, Chatters That Matter with Dr. Cheryl. Also, check her out on IMBD, see what she's been up to in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, thank you so much for being a part of this show. I truly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. We definitely have to have you come back, perhaps during Mental Health Awareness Month. Absolutely, I would love to do that. Yes. Well, to our listening audience, thank you so very much for joining us again for another brilliant episode of Choose to Challenge. Remember, your health matters, that you can be an advocate, that you can shift the trajectory of your life. But as Dr. Cheryl says, empower the next generation, change the next generation by doing the right thing. Again, I'm Moana Bradford here with Dr. Cheryl. And remember, in life and in business, when your vision intersects with opportunity, success is inevitable. Until next week. Bye, everyone.